Welcome to episode 10 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. This week, we're going to be giving you a little bit of a sports update on college football and the NBA. I'm going to be reviewing the book Sailor on the Seas of Fate by Michael Moorcock. Me and Christian are going to be talking about Murder on the Orient Express, the 2017 version of the movie. I have finished playing Horizon Zero Dawn, so I'm going to give you my review on that. We'll give you a few gaming updates, and then we'll play our Amazon review game. But first, this week in college football, Ohio State was upset by Purdue 49-20. It was a huge upset by Purdue because they were unranked. Ohio State did not look very good in the game, and it actually has more or less pushed them out of the college football playoffs. They are now ranked at number 11. They are outside looking into Michigan, who is also 7-1, and one, but they are ranked number 5th in the nation. Right now, the standings are Alabama, Clemson at number 2, Notre Dame at number 3, and LSU at number 4. Notre Dame, Alabama, and Clemson are still all undefeated. LSU is seven and one. Michigan's number five, looking uh, looking at it being seven and one. So if they run the table and beat Ohio State later this year, there's a good chance that they could get in if LSU, Clemson, or Notre Dame loses. Uh, number six is Texas. Number seven is Georgia, and number eight is Oklahoma. Number nine is Florida, and number ten is UCF. With Ohio State sitting at number eleven, so they fell off hard after last week's loss to Purdue. And it's it's surprising that Ohio State has done that, ha- has lost it that way that badly after seeing his how they look. They look pretty good this year, but they've always they always have trouble playing in Purdue, and no different this year, especially being beaten by twenty nine. Also, last week the NBA started, and surprisingly, the Nuggets are sitting at three and zero after the first week, and the Raptors are sitting at three and zero after the first week. Both of them as the number one team in their respective conference. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is looking amazing and is putting together an all-star year and maybe even an MVP season. It's hard to say as we're only two or three games into the season, but first week has been pretty interesting. There's two top stories for me. Number one is Jimmy Butler has trashed the Timberwolves team trying to get traded, and then it comes opening night, he has to actually play. And with every teammate, he has just thoroughly insulted to the media for the past month or so and the other story lebron has moved to the lakers the lakers are zero and two but they played the rockets and the lakers and rockets got into a real big fight with two of the lakers players being suspended chris paul was suspended it looks like rajon rondo may have spit in chris paul's face and so chris paul poked rajon rondo in the eye carmelo anthony was sitting there by his best friend uh, Chris Paul, while this was happening, and he's he did not get involved at all. <laughs> he just walked away. Probably one of the Rockets' most disposable players. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's not what we were expecting to the start of the Lakers season, but I think it was one of the really one of the more interesting fights we've seen in a while, just because it's so funny. Because Chris Paul's a dirty player, but Rondo Rondo says he didn't spit on him. Chris Paul says he was spit on. It's a lot of he said she said. So it was pretty uh, pretty fun first week. So this week I finished the book, The Sailor on the Seas of Fate. It is a book by Michael Moorcock in the Elric of Melnibone series. I previously had talked about the first book in the series, Elric of Melnibone. Well, first book chronologically, but it was actually a much later book for Michael Moorcock's series because he writes them. He has written them out of order, but this was, I believe, maybe the third book chronologically because there's the first one then there's a short story than this i didn't read the short story in between and it essentially is a book that's broken into three short stories that follows elric going into the future the present and the past 
And for the first part, it's him getting on a ship going to the future to try and stop some interdimensional being from attacking his world and destroying it. And he meets up with three other characters who all turn out to be some forms of himself. And I guess if you are a fan of Michael Moorcock and read his Eternal Champions book, the other characters, would you would have known who the other characters were. Not reading that, I had no idea who they were and just kind of pieced it together. The best part, I think, of that first third of the book was they go into this building that's essentially a living interdimensional being and all the defenses inside it. And it was a, a really interesting description of all the defenses of the inside of interdimensional being of these guys trying to get through, which if anyone ever had, wants an idea, idea for a D&D campaign, I suggest they read that part of the book. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it was. I mean, so, so some of his writing in this is kind of boring but if you're a fan of D, like i have to imagine the D creators were reading michael moorcock's stuff to some degree because some of it is straight out of i like when i'm reading it it just feels like i'm reading a D campaign it's awesome i like stories that are told out of order sometimes it, it makes them a little more interesting yeah, so hopefully if I l- later on read about these guys in a later portion of this story or I go to his other works, th- this will make a lot more sense to me because huh. you know, these characters were introduced in a way where it seemed like you were supposed to know who they were, and I, I did not. And that also, I was like, I don't know if they... I thought they had appeared in one of his earlier works and now it was like a prequel to them, but it's actually just one of his other works. Yeah, a friend of mine was just reading a story, and I, I wish I could remember the name of it now, but it's it's three books... And each book is like five parts, but none of the parts are in order. And when you get to the, when you get to the end, there's an author's note that's like the order that they happen chronologically. If you want to go back and read them that way, he said it was wildly confusing. That's that's an interesting storytelling technique. Uh, if you ever talk to him again and find that out, let me know. I might check that book out. It reminds me of the fourth season of Arrested Development, if you watched that. I watched like half of it. I was not a fan of it. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't either at first. And I'm still not, but I went back and I at least got through it. I've not watched season five yet, though. But that's it, it, it drove me crazy not knowing exactly when things were happening. If if it's done well, it can really work. But if they do it poorly, which I think the rest of development, granted, I guess I didn't watch the whole thing, but from what I saw, I did not like how they had done it. That seemed to be the consensus because they went back and re-released the season in order. Oh, did they? Yeah, if, if you go on there now, I, I don't think the original season four is even available. It's like season four remix. I love the first three seasons of Arrested Development and season four is such a disappointment to such a good series. Yeah, and I mean, Five's been out for like two months now, and I haven't even considered watching it. Yeah, I didn't even know that they released a season five. Yeah, it came out a little bit ago. Every now and then it pops up in my queue, and I'm like, not now. There's some things that I just think the the creator, like, it's unfortunate that Arrested Development ended when it did, because it ended before its time, but I don't think the revival was good for it. I think it should have just ended, and it would have been one of the best shows ever. Had the event like stop with season three. Yeah, I agree with that. But otherwise, the second part of the book is Elricky's goes into it's him sailing in the again. He's traveling through dimensions to get back to his one world, his own world. He meets another Melnabonian. He helps this, you know him and this other guy. They escape from the dimension, which then goes into the third book where they are back in their own world. And they go into what's more or less down like an Amazon forest type deal to find an ancient civilization where his people, the Melanobonians, all originated from. And then it's a 
an adventure story of Tim finding a little bit out about his people. Uh, overall, I think the first part of the book was my favorite. And then the other ones were all right. I have one more book left in the, uh, the like anthology that I have it. It's uh, three books combined into one book. And then each book is broken down into three parts that are their own mini books. So I'm on to finally the last third of that anthology, which is the white wolf. So uh, and maybe another week or so I'll be talking about that. I don't know if I would suggest to this that you would start reading the series with this. I think if you are interested in Michael Moorcock's Elric of Mountain Bone uh, series itself, maybe start with either where they start chronologically with Elric of Mountain Bone or start with where he actually started writing it first. I don't know if you would really want to start with the Sailor on the Seas of Fate because there's not a lot of buildup or explanation into the characters. So this week you watched the majority of the Haunting on Hill House, Christian. What did you think of it? It was creepy. It was really good. I'd heard a lot of reviews about it. I heard it was really freaking people out. And so I decided I'd give it a watch for Halloween. And it it didn't quite live up to some of the reviews. I'd heard people were getting freaked out to the point where they couldn't sleep. I don't think it was all that, but... It was it was a good show. It had a lot of really creepy moments. And granted, I'm not finished yet, but it had a lot of really creepy moments. And it it has just kind of an air of discomfort. There weren't a lot of moments where I was like jumping out of my seat or really like screaming, as I'm known to do in horror movies. But I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. What type of horror show is it? It leaves a lot unseen. So yeah, it's, it is a lot of psychological. It's, it's more that it gets into your head and makes you expect something scary. And then sometimes it doesn't always deliver. And that just makes the suspense more. It's, it's good. It's just an overall aura of just being creepy and unsettling. Ooh, so is this one of the better Netflix originals? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely recommend it. The, the plot is essentially these people, this family is flipping a house and the house is uh, mega haunted, <laughs> apparently. And it's it's told in two stories, half through flashbacks of them flipping the house and the kids are all kids. And then the other half is told as they're adults and they're having to deal with what they went through as kids. Man, it really sucked me in. I didn't really think I was getting creeped out. And then I walked outside this evening and I heard noises and I'm like looking all around and I was like, oh yeah, it got a little more into my head than I thought it had. Man, that sounds interesting. So it's sort of, so it follows them as kids and as adults. Is it fully as kids and then they start the adult story or are they intertwined? They're intertwined. And it goes back to what I was saying about a story being told out of order. So it, the first several episodes focus on each individual family member. There's a, an episode for the oldest brother to start and then each sibling gets one and then the father gets one. And I just finished the mother's episode. I'm going to have to check this out. My one of my roommates get back this week. So I'll probably end up watching it with him. Yeah. Like I said, I definitely recommend it. It's I'm really excited to see how it ends. So this week, I got a chance to rewatch Murder on the Orient Express, the 2017 film directed by Kenneth Branagh, who also actually starred as Hercule Poirot. It also included Tom Bateman, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Daisy Ridley, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Overall, I, I enjoyed the film. Uh, I don't know. What did you think of it, Christian? I did like it. It's a movie that I wish I didn't know the ending to. 
I felt the same way about like Final Fantasy VII, which I'd known the ending to, I think, since I was born, and like the usual suspects. Something I felt would have been a lot more satisfying if I didn't know the story before I watched it. But even even knowing how it ends, it was it was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. I will tell you, Christian, I did not know the ending to this. Um, really? To see it, yeah. I I've heard of Murder on Murder on the Orient Express, but I've I didn't watch the old movie. And for readers who don't know, Murder on the Orient Express was originally a novel by Agatha Christie. I had never read that novel. It's from 1934, but I, I've heard of it before. I just had never watched it. And I, when it happened, I was like, oh, that's such a good ending. But probably a ton of people already knew what was going to happen. But I really enjoyed this movie. I know on Rotten Tomatoes, it, got, it was not well loved. It has a 57% critic score and a 54% audience score. I, I actually saw this in theaters and I thought it was beautifully shot. I love the period piece of it. You know, him starting in Jerusalem and then taking the train through with all the snow-capped mountains and stuff. Like, I, I thought it was a cool movie, especially some of the shots they do with them walking through the train where they have it above them. And you see how small, like, a train actually is, but there's so much luxury packed into it. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I think I watched it twice. I'm having trouble remembering now, but I definitely agree about the cinematography. I thought it was wonderfully shot. The Like you said, the snow-capped mountains made me want to hop on one myself i think the thing i was most excited about in this movie was well i I probably tied with johnny depp getting murdered on screen which is always satisfying was uh leslie adam jr played the doctor and i'm a tremendous fan of the musical hamilton and he plays aaron burr in hamilton does he i didn't realize that i have not seen hamilton yeah so it was it's been fun to see people from hamilton on screen lately one of them was just in A Star is Born, Anthony Ramos Jr. And Renee Elise Goldsberry, who plays Angelica Schuyler, was just in uh, House with a Clock on its Walls. So it's been a good it's been a good run for them. Yeah. I was surprised when I saw this because I didn't really pay much attention before I went to go see it. Uh, I was surprised that Daisy Ridley was in it because the last thing I'd seen her in Star Wars and I was watching, I was like, is that is that Ray? Like I was I was really surprised she was in it. Oh, yeah, and she does a great job. She reminds me of, like, a younger Kira Knightley, I think. Yeah, she's good in it. I mean, everyone plays their role very well. Yeah, and Kenneth Branagh is fantastic, as, both as a director and as an actor. Yeah, and what I saw a lot of people panned it at the time was, you know, there was a Perot TV show, which I also didn't really know about until after this. And I went back, I've watched the first season of it. I think there's, like, 10-plus more seasons. And I do actually want to watch them all now because a lot of people's complaint was Kenneth Branagh was not the same as David Suchet's Hercule Poirot, which, you know, is true, but it's two different actors playing the same character. I think Kenneth Branagh's portrayal was fine. I thought he was a convincing Poirot. Yeah, I did too. I was distracted by the enormous mustache for a little while, but it, it worked out. That was an unwieldy, like an unusually large mustache. <laughs> But yeah, overall, I would definitely say that was a fun movie. I would recommend it. I think a score of the mid 50% is real low for that movie. Yeah, if you like, you know, period pieces or really murder mysteries, or you don't know the ending to the movie already, I would say check it out. If you do know the ending, maybe you really don't want to rewatch it, then 
maybe not so much, but granted it wasn't well received by audience and critics, but it had a $55 million budget and it made 352.8 million at the box office. So more than made back wow. money. And they even, you know, at the end set up uh left room for the sequel. Uh, I think it's called murder on the Nile or something like that because they reference him going down the Nile next. So I, I actually hope they make another one. I I'm all for period piece murder mysteries on the big screen. Yeah, that would be cool. It would be fun to see him come back in the role again. After watching this, I was like, I should go on a train ride. That's exactly how I felt. Like not just anyone though, like gilded age, like extremely wealthy <laughs> person train ride where they, where you have like servants in your own private car. Be like a, a treat yourself 2018, but just for trains. Yeah, I mean, geez, they had like they showed the the dining car and stuff. And there are people making five star meals and stuff like that. Like, crazy what they were doing on there. And I was like, man, people back then, if this is, has any sort of accurate of what the rich were like, that's an insane train ride. <laughs> All right, video game reviews. This week, I finally platinumed Horizon Zero Dawn, Christian. It took me 44, I think, hours and 30-some minutes to do it. And it was over the course of almost a month. And I got to say, I love the game. It's really, really good. So Horizon Zero Dawn is developed by Guerrilla Games. Guerrilla Games was acquired by Sony in 2005. And since then, they are known for creating the games in the Killzone series. And they had gotten a little bit tired of that and decided to go in a completely different direction by doing a third-person open-world sort of RPG where you hunt robot dinosaurs. And they did such a good job with the game. (laughs) So the story follows um, the main character whose name's Aloy. You start following her while she's a child and then she grows up and has, she's an outcast of her tribe and she has to go prove herself to be part of the tribe. And the story ends up taking her to where she has to stop a world ending threat. Like most video games. Well, what's interesting is that I didn't actually know going into this. So spoilers a little bit, this setting of this is actually the American Southwest. So you'll see, like, they use inspiration from Salt Lake City, from Denver. There's actually the ruins of, like, the Air Force Academy you can find. So it's post-post-apocalyptic Earth where it's after an apocalypse happens and then humans and everything starting to rebuild in the American Southwest. So you have varied landscape. You have snow peaks. You have deserts. You have lush forests. It's really cool environments to explore. And so her story revolves around trying to find out what has happened to cause the catastrophe for what they call the old ones, essentially our civilization, what caused the destruction of it, and then figure out why in this post, in her world, uh, they have machines, which are essentially just dinos, uh, inspired robot dinosaurs or prehistoric beasts like saber-toothed tigers. They're getting much more aggressive and she's trying to figure out why that's happening. And the two stories intertwine. And all the while you're doing that, you're exploring this huge open world and there's tons of activities to do. There's hunting grounds where you can hone your uh, abilities in the game. You're going to do quests for like standard quests of people. You explore all the different cities. You, you learn a little bit about how each of the tribes develop because they're a little bit different. You have her tribe, which is more like a hunter-gatherer society. And then you go to actually more advanced tribes where they're in these giant cities with um, walls and everything like that. And so the primary gameplay in this is you get a spear and you get 
a bow and arrow, but it's not just any bow and arrow. You can craft it so you can pierce armor, you can shoot fire arrows, you can turn machines against each other, you can shock them, you can freeze them. And then not only that, you get another thing that's called a trip caster where you can set like line traps where if anything goes into it, either they get caught on fire or they get uh, explode or gets uh, electrocuted. And you also have another, you know, another gun where you shoot ropes and you can tie them down. I mean, there's so much variety in this game and a lot of it is built around sneaking and hunting these uh, creatures. And it is so well done. Uh, one of my favorite things is that the combat's just so seamless when you're changing items. You just hold down L1, a wheel comes up, everything slows down, but you can still move. You choose what you want to switch to next. And it's just so instantaneous. Uh, the fighting with all the monsters feels great. You fight small guys first and you slowly work up into giant T-Rex size uh, robots that take a lot of skill to figure out how to beat. And what what's interesting is a lot of games have like a focus mechanic, like Assassin's Creed, if you click on it, or Batman. You get to see around the world and it kind of, you know, it's like you got to go this way, you got to go that way. On this, you can do that and you look at the enemies and it shows you where their weak points are and what uh, items you should use. But while you're in that focus mode, you actually go much slower. So it's to your disadvantage to be looking at it. You can't have it on the entire time. So you have to use it when you're not being attacked. And then it'll stay, uh, once you turn it off, it'll highlight where you can attack for so long. But you have to remember what you actually need to use to hurt them. And you're not only fighting dinosaurs, you're also, there's bandit camps that you clear out. So you're fighting humans. I actually think the human combat is one of its weaker parts. Uh, and also there's a lot of exploration involving climbing. And I, I think that was one area they could have refined a little bit. So when you actually find the things you're supposed to climb, it works well. I don't think the mechanics of that are overly complicated. It's usually push, hold a button one direction and she'll do the rest. But when you're trying to find some of these things you're supposed to climb, like I just couldn't find them. They blend into the environment too well. And you normally, if you, you know, you hit your focus thing, you're able to see it in like Batman or something objects you're able to interact with. You're not here. And I wish they had done that because on more than a dozen occasions, I was running around trying to figure out how I was supposed to get up somewhere. And I ended up just like jumping over a mountain Skyrim style and coming around a back way because I, I didn't <laughs> see where I was supposed to climb it. But that, I mean, uh, if, if that's your only complaint, I don't think it's really that bad of a game. Uh, another thing that I really like what they did was my biggest problem with open world games is I have to do every quest and this one, they don't overstuff the game with quests. They have, I believe it was 22 side quests, 14 errands. And then you had some things where you would complete hunting challenges and you had your main quests. And the side quests were, I think, well done. They were generally maybe 20 to 30 minutes. You met some interesting side characters. They had multiple parts and you actually started to care about the characters in it because you had such limited interactions, but the dialogue between the uh, whoever you're dealing with and Aloy was so good that generally you liked who you were dealing with. So it was interesting because a lot of those guys end up coming back at the end of the game if you beat it to help you out with the final stuff. So it was like seeing an old friend that you could actually help and you weren't tired of them. Like some of the games I've played, like Dragon Age Inquisition, which I love, there's a ton of side quests where it's like, go collect 40, 50, whatever, and bring it back. And there are one or two like that in Horizon Zero Dawn, but they're classified as errands. And generally, I had all this stuff in my pouch anyways, because you pick it up naturally playing the game. So it wasn't overly annoying to deal with. 
if I'm going to rate this game, I'd say it's an A, uh, A, A rating game. I think it's one of the best games of this generation. It's definitely one of the best games on the PlayStation 4. I don't know if I'd say it's one of the best games ever, but it's it's a high A game. I think it might be my favorite single player experience uh, on the PlayStation 4 so far. In other gaming news, Soul Calibur 6 was released this week to mostly positive reviews, but I'm not really going to talk about that. I want to talk about the insane character created that has come with Soul Calibur 6. Uh, I don't know if you've got a chance to look at any of these yet, Christian, but it has an extremely robust character creator. And on our Twitter, I'm going to post some of the articles I've seen because some of the things people have created are amazing. There's uh, one where there's a essentially just a pistachio. There's Bernie Sanders. Uh, people have made Thanos, Prince mm. of Skinner, Solaire from the Dark Souls series, Ronald McDonald, Balzette, Ben Swallow, which I think is amazing. It's just a guy with an extremely large midsection. And most notably, um, if you haven't played Soul Calibur 6 before, there's a character named Volta who essentially looks like he's a BDSM masochist who has a real weird fighting style that involves a lot of pelvic thrusting. Uh, so people have created characters where essentially it's his fighting style, but they've put huge penises onto them. And it's obscene, but oh my gosh, it's funny that they had the ability to do that. It's definitely not safe for work, but if you guys think that's something, you should check out those characters in action. And finally, in gaming news, Spider-Man 4 on the PS4 received its 1.07 update, and it, on that they've added a new game plus as well as an ultimate difficulty. And October 23rd, they're going to be releasing their first DLC for the game, which stars Black Cat, which is called The Heist. So that's pretty interesting. I actually just bought Spider-Man today, and I'm hoping to play it this week. I've heard nothing but great things about that game. Yeah, it looks awesome. I saw it uh, used at GameStop, and I decided to pick it up. Um, So I'm hoping it's good. All right, and now we're going to play our Amazon review game. A quick refresher on the rules. Christian will be reading me a review, a five-star review from Amazon, and then I will get two yes or no questions, and then I can ask Christian to read another review, then I'll get two yes or no questions, and then I can ask Christian to read one final review, then I have to guess what the movie is. All right, this first review I cannot read the title of because it will give it away immediately, but it is by BV Jim. I loaned out my original copy never to see it again, so I picked this up, and I like it a lot. The Blu-ray is crystal clear, and the extras are decent. The booklet inside the packaging has a lot of trivia, background, and interesting stuff, including the recipe for a Caucasian, so there is that. Uh, Does this movie involve bowling? It does. Does this movie have someone urinating on the rug? one of the characters rugs in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Is this the Big Lebowski? It is indeed. I love that movie. Man, that was a that was a very vague one. I really thought you were gonna have to go for a second review. Man, I'm disappointed in myself. I, I Christian, that is maybe my all-time favorite movie. I've watched, when you said like <laughs> recipe for a Caucasian, I was like, it has to be that. 
All right, guys, thanks for listening to our episode. Uh, before we finish up here, Christian, what are you going to be checking out this week? Well, I got to finish Hill House, that's for sure. I'm really excited about that. Uh, we got a bunch of movies came out this week that I didn't get a chance to watch. Halloween came out, which I don't know if I'm actually going to watch or not, but First Man came out last week about the moon landing that I definitely want to check out. We also got The Hate You Give this week, which is a movie about race, race relations in America that I definitely want to check out. I've heard great reviews on it, but it's not making a whole lot of money, at least not at our theater. Uh, I'm also going to watch the 2007 Phantom of the Opera and the, at the theater. Uh, one of the theaters nearby is showing it again for I'm not really sure what reason, but I'm excited about it because it's my favorite musical. Awesome. Um, is it one of those promotions where they're like, oh, let's play like an old movie or is it Halloween related or you're just not sure what they're? I, I think it's Halloween related. I think they're they're making it like a dress up masquerade thing. I don't think I'm going to do all that. I'm just going to go enjoy my movie. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I'm going to be playing either Spider-Man or Divinity Original Sin 2. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll try out a little bit of both. I recently bought both of those games, so I'm really excited to try one of them out. I am 95% sure I'm going to go see Venom tomorrow night. I already made plans with a friend, so as long as those don't fall through, I will finally be checking that out. I'm going to to watch that Haunting at Hill House uh, when my roommate gets back. Yeah, all all I'll say about Haunting is it does lull a little bit in the middle. It becomes slightly more of just like a family drama with ghosts kind of hanging out. But when you get to around episode six, it starts to ramp up again. Cool. You, you know what else I actually checked out this week? I'll probably watch a little more of his Broadchurch. Oh, great. Yeah, see, we uh, I watched the first episode and thought it was a little bit slow, and then I ended up checking out uh, episodes two, three, and four, I think, yesterday, and they, they, they got their hooks into me. I'm, I'm really excited to continue it. I, I like oh, my part. <laughs> I'm excited for you. Broadchurch is one of my favorite shows. The music and uh, the, the cinematography is some of the best I've ever seen on a TV show. I really like uh, David Tennant from what I saw of him on Doctor Who, so it's cool to see him in another role. Yeah, and I, I may have mentioned this, I, I can't really remember, I may have mentioned this when we did our Doctor Who episode a few weeks ago, but the writer of Broadchurch, Chris Chibnall, is now the head writer for Doctor Who, and uh, Jodie Whittaker, the woman who plays Beth Latimer, is, is now the Doctor. Really? Oh, it, it, Beth's the mom, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, wow. Small world. Yeah, there are a lot of Doctor Who callouts. Well, not callouts, but like a lot of Doctor Who actors on Broadchurch. Rory's a priest. Yeah, the the priest is Arthur Danville, who plays Rory. Olivia Coleman, the the partner Miller, he, she is a, a bad guy in one of the episodes of Doctor Who from season five. Uh, David Tennant, obviously, and now Jodie Whittaker and David Bradley, who. Uh, most people would know as Filch from the Harry Potter movies. He plays the like the store owner and newspaper guy in this one. Yep. He played the first Doctor in like a flashback episode they did about a year ago. There's a still on the internet somewhere of Jodie Whittaker, David Bradley, and David Tennant all standing in the church in Broadchurch, and it's it's a comment about uh, the, this is the only time three Doctors have been on screen together in a sh- different TV show. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for checking our episode out this week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kingbots Network. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.